We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10 a.m. Enjoy the message. So about 18 years ago, um, yeah, that young girl that I was talking about, who invited me to the Alpha course, um, I went along and I walked into a building called uh, the Clarendon Centre. And this building was the home of a church called Church of the Christ the King in Brighton. And um, many years before that, there was this man who lived in a sleepy town in, uh, in the south coast. And he would go around door knocking, telling people about Jesus, telling them about the grace of God, telling them about the good news that could be found, about the life and the spirit and the word of God that could be found in them. And when, by the time I'd met him, there was this like, massive church of like, a thousand people or something with loads of youth. And it's Terry Virgo who's here and so he has changed my life and I know many of yours through his ministry through his faithfulness for his servant-heartedness for his willing to do the things that God's called him to do and so we've got lots to learn from him so let's welcome him again as he speaks to us Thank you so much, Chris. It's uh, great to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. Thanks for being here. Actually, just seeing that glorify your name in all the earth. Just take a few moments to say that I've this last week been in Cyprus uh, and this New Frontiers group of churches that has now grown. Uh, it's quite an extraordinary thing as we were singing glorify your name in all the earth. I remember when we were, were just kind of starting and... Uh, uh, we were having the effect, you know, your summer camp we've just heard about from Chris, which is superb. I was at it a few years ago. I encourage you to get to it. It's really, really good. Um, when we first started, uh, we met at Plumpton Racecourse and uh, uh, put up a circus tent and uh, we just come together with a few churches that have just got underway and uh, uh, we thought we'd better have a name to uh, we had cassettes and books and stuff so we came up with the name Coastlands it wasn't like New Frontiers which was a number of churches all joined together it was just something to hang our hat on as it were and uh, yeah it was great 2700 our first Downs Bible Week and uh, it grew eventually to 10,000 went on to Stonely and grew to 30,000 and now we're in numbers of uh, places all over but it was an extraordinary thing that once I was in India and uh, at a conference and a guy called Alan Vincent was preaching and uh, I, I was sitting in the front row listening to him and had this strange thing from God I want to speak to you now I said, Lord, I'm, I'm here now, Alan's speaking, uh, now. And I thought, oh, Lord, this is very embarrassing. I'm in the front row, Alan's speaking, now. So, so I got up and went out. And it was in a kind of rural part of India, uh, high up, uh, looking over. And I, I thought, what's this all about? And uh, I, I, it was a strange thing because I went, I remember I sat on a rock and I thought, well, so here I am with my Bible. And there was a stream running by, and I actually saw a kingfisher drop into the water and fly back up again and do it. And I sat there watching this, and, uh, and I said, Lord, what, what? And this name Coastlands was the word we were using at the time. 
And, and I, I just opened my Bible, and, which is not a thing I'd encourage you to do necessarily. But on that occasion, I just opened my Bible. And it opened Isaiah 41. And uh, in the, I used the NASB, a New American Standard Bible. And uh, the word coastlands isn't a word we tend to use much in English. But uh, the Bible opened and opened Isaiah 41. And it said, coastlands, listen to me in silence. And I thought, oh, <laughs> I'm here. And this word, and here's God speaking. And God began to say things to me from that from that passage which we haven't time to look at now but after it was like amazing promises and at the end I, I stood and I looked and I looked down through the valley that was the stream and as I, look, as I looked I realised it went on and it grew wider and wider and weaving and it, was, it became a huge river I could see from this high spot this massive river and I just felt God said to me you've no idea what I'm going to do with this You've no idea how far this will reach. And, and this last week I was in Cyprus and the leaders of various teams, the commission team, other teams from all over the world were gathered. And at one point uh, someone led, uh, led a session and then led in some prayer and we were sitting around tables and he said, I want you to hold hands. And people held hands and I suddenly realised it looked like a great river as these hands were being held. And it's extraordinary. There were Ukrainians holding hands with Russians and Indians holding hands with Pakistanis. And, and it crossed all kinds of barriers, Turkey and African nations and European nations and all that we now represent in over 80 nations. Over, they reckon now over 2,000 churches. And when you think of that tiny, tiny beginning, and it was terrifically moving for me. Look at all these people whose faces and names I knew from these many, many nations. And just a joy. Oh, glorify your name in all the earth. That's not just a fairy story. That's actually happening. God raising up churches. I remember with one church in India, now 300 churches in India, uh, in the midst of considerable persecution. And some of the preaching was very searching and talking about how tough it is now for the church in many nations one of the guys who was coming from Turkey uh, got, got to get on the plane taken by the police uh, because of the impression now on church in Turkey and, uh, and we heard about pastors in India who have been put into prison because they're Christians against the strong Hindu pressure that's in that nation now and uh, just hearing wonderful stories of courage and commitment and yet loads of laughter and enjoyment and being together as a family so just to tell you a little about it, it seems wrong to come home and not say something uh, it was a great great privilege to be there and mixed with these to be honest, spiritual giants who are carrying so much. You know, in, in Pakistan, they meet under police protection. And, uh, uh, you know, they meet in such really quite hairy places. And to see our dear friend Andrei Bondarenko from Ukraine, who's had to flee from his house because of the Russian invasion, and yet holding hands with the Russian pastors, whose churches we also serve. And uh, it's amazing, the Church of God. Amazing what God's done. Okay, I must rush on. Just to say there's some books outside I won't hate saying about them. This one I wrote during COVID, God's Treasure Possession. This one, God's Lavish Grace. Been translated into many languages and have many letters saying it was life-changing. They're on a table outside there. So if you'd like to take advantage, please do. 
John's Gospel and chapter 13 is where I'd like to start. John 13, I'm going to read one verse from chapter 13 and then go straight into chapter 14. Okay, so one verse from 13, that's verse 33, and then jumping into chapter 14. Little children, I'm with you a little while longer. You'll seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I'm going, you can't come. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. Jesus said to him, how have you have I been so long with you and you've not come to know me Philip he who has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father do not believe that I am in the father the father is in me the words that I say to you I don't speak on my own initiative but the father abiding in me does his works believe me that I am in the father the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he'll do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it doesn't see him or know him. You know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you after a little while the world will no longer see me but you will see me because I live you will live also and in that day you will know I am in the Father you in me and I in you Father thank you so much for your presence with us thank you for putting it in our hearts to desire that your name be glorified throughout the whole earth Thank you that Lord, we're part of your global purpose and even broken vessels can be restored. We celebrate the wonder of your kindness. Now, Lord, we want to hear your voice. So we ask right now for your help. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Come rest on us. Come be our teacher. We need you, Lord. We want you, Lord. Come and lead us into truth. Come take 
of the things of Christ and reveal them to us, we pray. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, one of the great claims of our faith is that we enjoy the presence of God. That's a unique claim. We believe that God is actually with us. We appreciate the wonder of the presence of God. Now, of course, uh, if you like, it's not unique to Christianity in that the Old Testament, the Jewish people had this experience too, that God, God's presence came. We read about it with Moses when he's just looking after a few sheep on the hillside and one day sees this bush burning and uh, I guess uh, bushes went up in flames sometimes in that colossal heat, but this one doesn't go up in flames, it keeps on burning and burning with an extraordinary kind of intense glory. And he draws near to see what on earth this is about. And to his shocked amazement, uh, a voice speaks to Moses by name and calls him and, and says to them, I have come down to deliver my people who are now two million people in Egypt and call them on to my great purpose, the next thing in my program to reach the ends of the earth. These people are going to come out and you're going to be the one who brings them out. And they get this extraordinary encounter and Moses full of doubts and fears and says, how can I do this? And God kind of says, it really doesn't matter who you are. I am who I am. And this extraordinary revelation of God and we find that God's presence goes with them and if, if one bush is full of glory for one man when he brings the people and it's an amazing phrase it says that Moses brought the people to meet God when I wrote this book about uh, God's treasure possession the Moses story that phrase captured my imagine, imagination he brought the people to meet God imagine that I remember meeting my parents-in-law. Uh, you know, I met Wendy at college, and I didn't know her family at all. And my family's, I mean, no Christian presence at all. Uh, I searched my uncles and aunts, you won't find any Christians. She comes from one of these Christian families where every aunt and uncle, they're all Christians, the whole thing. And I've never met any of these amazing people. And uh, I'm going to meet Wendy's parents, come and meet my parents. I thought, I, I remember that. What do you call them? How do you dress? What's going to meet the parents? And uh, Moses brought the people to meet God. <laughs> How do you like to meet God? And when they come to the mountain, it says there's, there's fire and smoke and the whole mountain shaking and a trumpet voice that grew louder and louder. And they, two million people heard the voice of God. And, and the word is, don't let even an animal touch the mountain. You come and meet God. And they say, Moses, you go and talk to him. It's like, this is terrifying. The people who meet God. And then God says, I want to travel with you. And so they, they make a tent for God. They're all living in tents. And you can read about it in Exodus 40, among other places, how they, they made the tent. And God came down and dwelt in the tent. And it says that the cloud covered the tent and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. These people were traveling with God and God was in covenant relationship with them. He wasn't revealing himself in Brazil or Mexico or Australia or Russia, just these people. 
Of all the people on the earth, this people, he made a covenant with them and he manifested his presence to a particular nation. And he made, he made a kind of covenant, a covenant with them. And it's like we're married. It's like you're my bride. And these are my rules. These are my Ten Commandments. This is the way I want you to live because we are now in relationship. This is a unique relationship you have with me, I with you. I'm going to be with you now. I'm going to fill uh, this tent. You will set it up. My glory will keep coming and flooding it. A cloud of glory will be over you. I'm going to be with you. An extraordinary privilege. One nation in the whole world, two million people, knew the presence of the Creator God with them, traveling with them. Now, there was a time when they backslid. They made a golden calf. And God said, I'm not going with you. I tell you what, I'll still give you the land. I'll send an angel ahead of you. But I'm not coming, you're, you're just too rebellious. I'm not going to be with you. And then Moses says this, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're not going anywhere. Because it's your presence that makes us unique. We're the only people in the world that have the presence of God. And if you're not coming, we're not going. And Moses is a tremendous man of prayer and he gets before God and says, you've got to come with us because that's what makes us unique. And you know that's what's still true of the church. It is the presence of God that makes us absolutely unique. The wonder of his being amongst us. And God made this promise that he would be with them and he began to go with them. And then you get in the New Testament, which I've just read, the beginning of this gospel. We read that in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. In fact, the word translated lived in most of our Bibles is the word tabernacle. He tabernacled among us and we beheld his glory. So in the Old Testament, there was this tent probably made of animal skins and glory came upon this place and they beheld glory on this tent. They carried this tent with them. They took it down. They carried it with them. And this glory was there. So when John writes, he says, the word, the word, God himself became flesh and lived among us and we saw his glory. These guys began to live with a man, no longer a, a tent made of skin, but a human being. D.A. Carson great theologian says this God chose to make himself known finally and ultimately in a real historical man when the word became flesh God became man and pitched his tent among us God was manifesting himself in a new way in a human being showing who he was like we beheld his glory they saw the glory of God in fact, in John's Gospel, the first time that happens is at a wedding of Cana, where they run out of wine, and Jesus extravagantly turned gallons of water into wine, and it says they beheld his glory. This human being who came into a situation of tension and potential shame in the village, what a wedding, you didn't have enough wine for us. This, this event, this is probably the event of the year, the, the wedding of Cana, all the people coming, and they ran out of wine. And Jesus did an amazing miracle. He says, they saw his glory. 
This man who cut into people's lives who were in a mess, in difficulty, heartache, and he transformed it. He changed it. His glory was manifested. He came and did that again and again and again. This, this human being, not a tent you had to stick up, but a man who walked about and you kept seeing the glory of God in this man, this phenomenal God who came amongst us. No man has seen God at any time, the Bible says, but this one who come from the presence of God has made him known. He's explained him. He's revealed God. This is God walking around amongst human beings and you behold this glory of God. I love what it says in Hebrews and chapter 1 where it says God spoke in the past in many times, many ways, through the prophets. In these last days, he has spoken through a son who was appointed heir and he is the radiance of his glory. The radiance. It's like he's the outshining. You know, sometimes when you're driving along the motorway, it's cloud-covered, and there's a gap in the clouds, and you just see this kind of sunbeam. Now, you can't look at the sun, it will blind you, but you can look at this radiance that shines out. That's what this verse means. No man has seen God, but this one who has come from the presence of God, he is the outshining of God. His radiance has come to the earth. The glory of God has been known on the earth through this son. God's spoken in these last days through a son who is the radiance of God. He spoke in other ways in the Old Testament, prophets and writings, but now through a son who is the radiance of God. And then it says this, he's the exact image. He's the exact image of God. He's the exact image. Now, the word that says image here, it's the same word that's used when Jesus was asked, do we pay taxes? Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he said, who's got a coin? And they give him a coin, and he says, whose image is that? It's the same word. Well, the image on the coin, well, you have a stamp of Caesar, and you stamp it on the molten metal, and what is on the stamp is on the metal. It's the exact, exact copy. It's exact copy. Jesus is the exact image of God. We know what God is exactly like. That conversation that Jesus just had the disciples, we read. He said, Philip, how long have you been with me and not known me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm not looking for a mystical experience to find God. I'm not, well, how can I find God? I know exactly what God is like. God sent Jesus, who is exactly what God's like. I know what his attitude is. I know what he's like. I see him with little children when the disciples say, get these kids out of here, bring them to me. I know what he's like with a, a woman thrown in the act of adultery, caught, thrown at his feet. I, I know what God is like. I see what Jesus did. I see his mercy, I see his, I see his manner and his style with the Pharisees. I know exactly what God is like. Jesus is the exact image of God. I don't need a mystical revelation. Jesus has come to show us exactly what God is like. He that has seen me has seen the Father. This is the wonder of Christian privilege that we know this God. He's revealed in Christ. He is the outshining of God. He's the exact image of God. And he rubbed shoulders with these guys who said the life was manifest to us. We touched and handled. John writes later in his epistle, I can imagine he was almost trembling when he wrote it. We touched and handled. 
God. I leaned on him. We lived with God. God was amongst us. We know exactly what God, because it was that day when he messed up, wasn't it? When he was in the temple and, um, you know, he was pretty fed up because they were trying to make money and there were the tables and the guys changing money and... And he, and he just kind of got so furious. He turned the tables over and drove a whip and got him out. Because that night he said, sorry, Father. I mean, no, 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 he didn't. He didn't say sorry at all. He's the exact revelation of God. The last chapter of the Old Testament, Malachi, God says through the prophet, oh, that you would close the doors to my temple. I hate this stuff. That's my interpretation, but that's what it says. And Jesus is the exact image. He never, he never had to say sorry. He never had to repent. He's pure, innocent, holy, an exact revelation of God in the flesh. That's the wonder of the coming of Christ. God incarnate, God touching people, touching lepers, holding little children, raising the dead. Walking among people. God was manifest in the flesh. God amongst us. God making himself known amongst us. The exact revelation of the wonder of God. John says in John 1, what we've heard, what our eyes have seen, what our hands have handled. We, we were fellowshipping with God. Imagine these brothers, you know, they were fishermen and tax collectors, ordinary guys. And one day he gathers four of them on a beach. That's the beginning of the global church. Millions now. Millions all over the world. Four guys. James and John, Peter, Andrew. Come with me, come with me. The beginnings. The beginnings. And they began to live around Jesus. Imagine what it was like for them. They, I'm sure at the beginning they hardly knew. You know, he's a great teacher. He seems to be a bit of a miracle worker. And their, their understanding of him keeps growing and growing and growing. They didn't understand at first. They just felt captivated by him. And one day they're in a storm. Imagine, you're in a storm and these are fishermen. The sea's coming into the boat. It looks like this is the end. And they call on Jesus and he kind of wakes up. They say, Lord, we're going to die. The storm, look. He goes, shush. And the storm stops. What manner of man is this? This guy tells storms to stop and they stop. What, what, who we got ourselves in with? And can imagine each day, they wake up each day and think, what what he's going to do today? Wasn't it amazing when he walked among those ten lepers? Everyone's running away, lepers, lepers. He walked straight into the middle of them. When he stopped that funeral and got that boy out of the coffin, gave, wow, I wonder what's going to happen today. I can imagine them in the morning saying, I wonder what's going to happen today. And, and then he, he climbs up a hill, mountain, 4,000, 5,000? 5,000 follow him. Men. 5,000 men. It says in the scripture, 5,000 men plus women plus children. D.A. Carson, the commentator, he says probably, probably 20,000 people in all. Men, women, children. And it says he taught them and healed them. And then they slept rough. Imagine 20,000 scattered around the top of a hill. And then they woke in the next morning and he, he taught them again and healed them again. And they sleep rough again. And the third day, it says, he taught them and he healed them all. 
That's what the Bible says. He healed them all. So you've got 20,000 people, like a small village, town. 20,000 people, and there's no one sick among them. God coming down, living among people. Everybody's healed. And then the disciples say to Jesus, hey, they've been with us three days. You better send them away. They're going to die of starvation. And Jesus says, you feed them. What? You feed them. What have you got? <laughs> five, five loaves, few fishes. And he blesses them and breaks it and gives it to them. Go on, take it. Imagine, imagine Simon Peter. Huh? 20,000? Uh, I can imagine, imagine, right, okay, so uh, it's a bit for you, <laughs> a little bit for you. Imagine, 20,000, right, okay. Hey, what's happening? What, what is happening? What is happening? Hey, what is happening? Hey, see, Jesus didn't just stand among them. He kind of drew them into his world. Peter, come and walk on the water to me. You heal the sick. Wow, my life, I'm caught up with this amazing person. And, and you know, they send people to stop him. The Pharisees, they sent soldiers to, to, to capture Jesus. And they go, and he's preaching, and they stand, they listen, they listen, they listen. They go back empty-handed. The Pharisees, where is he? Oh, no man ever spoke like this man. Jesus was breathtaking, phenomenal. And every day you think, wow, what's going to happen today? And Peter and these guys, they just left everything to be with him. Now all that's the kind of prelude to the verse, first verse I read to you. Where Jesus said in John 13, 33, little children, I'm with you a little longer. I, I felt God kind of arrested my attention and said, because I've read that thousands of times. It's not touched me. I thought, he said to me, read it through Peter's eyes. See, when I got saved, someone said to me, Jesus will never leave you. So I, you know, I found that true. He's been faithful. Well, amazing. So he never leaves. But just hear, hear from Peter. Peter, who's had his life totally transformed by being with this guy, who is able to stop storms, who, who when we were on a mountain with him, he suddenly shone and God spoke. I mean, it's God all the time. Every day you're living with God. This Jesus, this is a human being we eat with, we laugh with. His arm comes around my shoulder. Yeah, he's God. And he says, I'll be with you a little longer. What? What? What do you mean you'll be a little longer? You, what, you're going somewhere? Beloved, try and hear it. You're going somewhere? I can't, what's life going to be like? I left everything to be with you. I left my nets. I left my fishing. I gave it all up to be with you. Hey, that was Christianity, to be with Jesus. That was the whole deal. It wasn't, oh, you become a Christian now. We meet at that school on Sunday mornings, and you can meet uh, uh, midweek. We have this. That's a Christian. Oh, no, these guys, a Christian is this. You're with Jesus every day. I've left everything to be with Jesus. That is the deal. That's what Christianity is about. We're with Jesus every day. And you're going away? I can't imagine what was that. Well, that's, that. that's it then. It was a brief visit, was it? And then you turn over the page, you come to the next chapter, it says, I won't leave you orphans, I'll come to you. A what? 
You won't leave us orphans. You're coming. Oh, it's okay, guys. He's coming back. Oh, Jesus, you must never say things like that again. Scare the life out of me. I thought you were going away. And now you say you're not. You're coming again. You're... Oh, he's not leaving us orphans. It's okay, guys. Oh, can't imagine a day without you, Lord. Feel, feel the passion there. I can't imagine a day without you. You know, Mary Magdalene, when he had been crucified, and he's just a corpse in a tomb, she, she can't imagine. Yeah, I, I want to go to him. I don't know how I'm going to remove the stone, little frail girl. But I can't imagine not being with him. I, even though he's dead, I want to be with him. Beloved, that's what it is. I just want to be with God. I want to be with Jesus. He's changed everything for me. I can't imagine being without him. That's what it was like. See, see what is the church? It's a church, a group of people who, they've got a kind of history book of what it used to be like when God was around. Imagine the disciples saying, oh, don't forget what he said there. Write it down, write it down. And he said, oh yeah, yeah, it was great what he said there. And when he did that, he had to, oh, write it down, write it down. He did that. Oh, amazing. Oh, great. We got this record of what it was like when God was around. Of course, he's gone now. But we've got the record. Is that it? Is that Christianity? See, Jesus said, I won't leave you. I'll come to you. What does that mean? See, I've read many verses where, many times where it says, I'll leave you, and I didn't take any notice. But I felt God said to me, look, feel what they felt. Stand in Peter's shoes, I won't be with you much longer. The thought of not being with Jesus would be devastating. Because Jesus had changed everything. Listening to him speak, you never heard anybody speak like this. Watching him live. And he's my friend. <laughs> I'm with him. And he's going away. So what about this verse we've read many times? I won't leave you orphans, I'll come to you. What do you think that means? Now it's interesting, I've got lots of commentaries on John's Gospel. And you say, well how do they comment on that verse? And you'll find they say things like, well it could be this, it could be that. A famous commentator called Westcott says this, The fulfillment of the promise began at the resurrection. The promise was potentially completed at Pentecost. It is to be crowned by his coming in judgment. No one application of the phrase exhausts its meaning. If you get the NIV study Bible, it's says similar. Could be this, could be this, could be this. Well, when you're a theologian living in the 21st century, you can write that kind of stuff. When you're Simon Peter, that won't do. See, when you're a theologian living thousands, thousands of years later, oh, it could mean this, it could mean that. For Simon Peter, you're going away? Oh, don't worry, I'm coming back. So it could mean the resurrection, the theologians say. Could be the resurrection. Well, of course, the resurrection was amazing. It says they could not believe for joy. He's alive again. He's alive again. I mean, that is stunning, breathtaking. They thought he was going to be dead. He's alive. Wow. But after a few weeks, he's going off again. I can imagine Peter saying, you said you weren't going. 
So the resurrection is glorious, yes. But it doesn't answer Peter's need. What about the other thing? It could be uh, when he comes in the end of the world. And when he comes again in glory. Well, that's great too, isn't it? It's great to know that God has got the whole thing wrapped up. It's not, you know, what's happening to the planet? Is the ozone layers breaking up? Are we all going to burn up? What, are the Muslims going to take over? What about the finances falling apart? What's going to happen to the world? Jesus is coming. Hallelujah. It's great news. But not for Simon Peter. See, Simon Peter, I'm coming again. When? What? 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 Oh, about 3,000 years. 3,000 years? What about tomorrow? See, for, for Peter, it's like, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. See, Hendrickson says in his commentary, what Jesus means is my departure won't be like that of a father whose children are left as orphans when he dies. In the spirit, I am myself coming back to you. When the spirit is poured out, Christ truly returns. Thus only can it be explained that the disciples are not left as orphans. I believe he's right. I believe Peter is hearing, but I'm coming back. It's all, you know, if you read all the passages, talk about the comforter's coming, I'm coming, the spirit's coming. It's like, when I come in my spirit, I'll be back with you again. And and when you read on the day of Pentecost, they were all together and waiting, and suddenly there's this incredible wind and fire. I can imagine Simon Peter saying, he's back, he's back. They're flooded with the Spirit. He says, he's been with you, he will be in you. When Mary meets with him at the tomb, and he says, don't cling to me. I'm going to be with you in a different kind of way from now on, but I will be with you. And if you read the book of Acts, it looks like the gospel is carrying on because Jesus is so manifestly in his church. You know, when they crush Jesus, what's happening? Stephen, the, Stephen's healing people. And so is Philip. And so is Simon Peter. And I, was, I thought I killed him off. I thought I finished him. No, he's everywhere in the church. They're enjoying being with him. God with us. That's the wonder. We need to have that attitude that Moses had. If your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go anywhere. And the church without the presence, the church that is kind of just a group of people with a fading memory of what it used to be like when God was here. Wouldn't that be sad? If the church it's just got a record of what it was like when God was around. And sadly, some have settled for that. Sadly, some of us said, well, that, that's it, isn't it? We've got the record of what it was like when God was here. But Jesus said, no, I won't leave you orphans. I'll be with you. Moses knew something in the Old Testament. If you're not with us, we're not going anywhere. So, beloved, this is what it is to be a Christian. It's to be like Simon Peter who says, I want to be with you. I can't imagine a day without you. Just let that kind of come to your heart, to your life. I can't imagine a day without you. I don't want to go back to a life without you. This this is what we've been called to, to know Jesus, to live with, with him every day, to enjoy him.
to fellowship with him. To find life is completely different because, hey, we're with God. God's with us by his spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They all knew God with them. Let me just tell you one more verse before I close. If I said this other verse, what did it mean? What about this verse? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you can be also. Now we've said that in this later verse, but it says, I will come. It meant the Holy Spirit will come. When it says here, I go to prepare a place. What, what do we think that verse means? In my father's house, there's lots of rooms. Uh, look, I'm going to get, there's a room for you. I'll go and get it ready. I'll, I kinda, I'll, go, I'll give it a fresh lick of paint. I'll plump up the cushions. And when you snuff it, there's a room for you. Is that what it means? It's a funny way to start a mission into all the world. When you die, there's a room for you. Is that what it means? Maybe not. Maybe not. I will go and prepare a place that where I am, you can be also. I will receive you to myself. I'll receive you to myself. By my Holy Spirit, I'll receive you to myself. You see, Paul uses a slightly different language. He says this, we were crucified with Christ, we were buried with Christ, we were raised with Christ, now we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's the language Paul uses. John uses different language, but he says, i got to prepare a place. When I worship God in the mornings, I often quote this verse, when he says, I'll come and receive you to myself. I say, here I am, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, receive me to yourself, that where you are, I can be also. The psalmist said this, in my, he talks about this, one day in the house of the Lord. One day, what's all I seek after? That every day that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, to behold the face of the Lord. This sense of being in his home, in his presence, in his temple, we're the temple of the Spirit. We can dwell with God, we can know him with us. We can enjoy fellowship with him. I will be with you. And beloved, that's our invitation. We mustn't reduce our Christianity to, hey, praise God for Sunday mornings. That's great. Praise God for Sunday mornings. Praise God for small groups. Praise God for every time. we. But Jesus, I want to be with you. Are you living life with Jesus? Are you coming into his house, into the room he's prepared? I go to prepare a place. You'll, you'll be co-crucified with me. You'll be raised with me. You'll be seated with me in the heavenless. And we can experience the presence of the Spirit. We can enjoy being with him. We can fellowship with God. We can know God with us. That's our calling. That's our life. That's what it is to be a Christian. He won't leave us alone. He will live with us, dwell with us, and we are invited to enjoy him. Maybe... You've not become a Christian yet, but you're so welcome. As Chris said at the beginning, we're all welcome, but you can come to know him. 
You can come to live with God every day. You can experience God every day. You can come into his presence, be filled with the Spirit, singing, making melody with all your heart to the Lord. Keep on enjoying being with God. Live your life with God. Don't just look at the book as, well, that's when he used to be around. I remember we had a, a pastor of the church that Chris mentioned, Donnie Brighton. He was an Australian guy and uh, absolutely wonderful personality. Could light up a room with his humor and laughter and just a terrific guy. And there came the day when he said, I'm going back to Australia to plant a church. He always knew he would go back again. He'd been with us for some years. And we kind of had our farewell parties and said our big goodbyes to Peter and Susan and off they go and I remember going back to church the next day and I'm, I'm parking my car and I thought where's Pete's car where's Pete I thought oh you fool he's gone and now having Pete around is a kind of fading memory of when he used to light up the room with his personality is that the church kind of fading memory of what it used to be like when God was here, or do we say, no, no, we're going to meet with God. We're going to fellowship with God. We're going to enjoy God. We're not orphans. He'll be with us. We can live with him every day, enjoy him, experience him, find him working amongst us. I want to encourage you. Make sure you're living your life with Jesus. Maybe like Peter, who said, I can't bear the thought of not living with you. You're my whole raison d'etre. Being with you is everything. Don't throw it away. Don't settle for, well, you can read what it was like when God used to be here. Amen? Let's just pray. Father, I thank you so much for your commitment to us. Thank you. It really is Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, don't let us know about it, but fail to enter into it. Help us to enjoy being with you, making melody in our hearts, singing to you, celebrating you, enjoying your faithfulness, finding you active. Lord, glorify your great name. Make yourself famous in your church and through your church, in my life, through my life, through the lives of each one of us, Lord, that you might get the glory, we pray. Come, dwell amongst us, ever increasingly Holy Spirit make yourself known to us in wonderful ways we pray in Jesus name Amen Amen we're going to sing just one more thing as I close if anyone's got lower back pain this morning if you, if you find difficulty standing for a long time and just get pain in your back maybe down your sciatic nerve if that's your experience, I'd love to pray for you. I believe you will be healed, all right? So if that's your experience, you've got lower back pain. If you're standing for any length of time, you've got lower back pain or maybe arthritic knees, all right? I believe God will heal you. I'd love to pray for you. Um, so we're going to sing our song, and then we've got coffee over here, amazing books out there, or healing up here, okay? So we'll close the meeting after we've sung. But if you'd like to be prayed for after we've sung, please come, take a seat here. We'll chat a little, and then I'll pray. It won't take long. Okay, thank you. Thanks for listening. 
We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.